0: Three years ago, in collaboration with Ostrid Fossum at Student Achievement Partners, I created a well-received and widely shared three-step framework to help teachers address students' unfinished learning in math. The three steps were understand, diagnose, and take action. I describe these steps in detail in a blog post that's featured on achievethecore.org, and I will link to that in the show notes in case you want to read more about it. Back then, the term unfinished learning was new to most people, and instead we were using the terms math gap or skill gap to talk about students with unfinished learning. And while some things have changed in the last three years, like an awareness of unfinished learning and the fact that it exists, overall much remains the same. There are still huge numbers of students who struggle every day in math class To make sense of the content. And there are still teachers in every school trying to support them, and typically without much guidance. So, where do we go from here, especially in light of the increased learning loss due to COVID 19 and the school closings and everything that's gone on over the past year? How do we help students to understand the math, to make sense of the math, and maybe even to find the joy in math that they? possibly have never experienced before. Stick around because on the other side of the intro, I'm going to share with you my new and improved, updated five-step framework that has evolved because of insights that I've learned over the past few years as I've continued working with teachers and students on the topic of addressing unfinished learning. Cue the music. former middle school teacher and math coach on a mission to help educators create a positive classroom community and reach every learner, all while finding balance in their own lives. Since I've left the classroom, I've learned so much about equity in education, building classroom community, math instructional practices that increase accessibility in learning, mindfulness and self-care, and ways to maximize time and impact through focused work and prioritization. Through conversations with experienced educators, you'll gain new knowledge, insights and inspiration, and practical ideas to try in your own classroom. I'll also share my many lessons learned over the years with the hope that it will accelerate your learning curve as a teacher. If you're an educator who's working hard to accelerate your students' confidence and understanding in math, you're in the right place. I want to be your mindful math coach. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay, friends, before I get into the framework, I want to tell you the tale of a little boy who had unfinished potty training. That little boy is my son, Otto. And I have to tell you, potty training him has been one of the most challenging parts of parenthood so far. So, some context here I have two children, Livy and Otto. Livy is 18 months older than Otto. And when we potty trained her, it was simple as pie. It was a one-and-done kind of thing. We followed a very popular three-day stay-at-home approach uh, from an ebook that I had read. And by the end of it, she was essentially potty trained. Honestly, couldn't have been any simpler. So when it came time to potty train Otto, Logically, we tried the same method and it did not work. By the end of the three days, like he was still not potty trained. So we waited a few months thinking that maybe he just wasn't quite ready. Maybe his body needed a little more time. And we tried it again. Failure number two. (laughs) A couple months later, we tried it again. Failure number three. and. Mind you, like every time you do this, you have to clear your schedule and it's very exhausting and time consuming because you're taking the child to the bathroom like every 15 minutes and it's it's just like you're wiped out by the end of the three days. So as these episodes, you know, reoccurred, we were like, my husband and I were having a lot of feelings about it. We didn't want to clear our schedule for three days. We didn't want to... Go back through this three day slog knowing what it was like. Like, and so we started getting kind of angry, to be honest. Started, you know, sometimes saying things to each other like blaming my son. Like, why can't he just get it? What's wrong with him? Like, why is it not clicking with him? When the fourth attempt failed, I was ready to throw in the towel. And honest to God, I was like, maybe he can just wear pull ups for the rest of his life because I don't have it in me to do this again. Like, I was just like, I cannot do it and be patient. And honestly, like, you know, that saying, like, the definition of crazy is like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You know, we were at that point. I was like, this is not working. It's clearly not his age or that he's not ready. Like this, you know, it's been many, many months now. Like I think it's the approach. And with my educator background, of course, I started thinking in the back of my mind, like, you know, sometimes we need a different approach, right? Sometimes the way we explain things to students or, you know, try to help them understand a concept, like if it's not clicking, we try a different way. And so it was almost extra crazy that we did the same method four times before i realized like we need to try something different luckily around that time i met a woman who specializes in potty training and she had an online course that she gifted to me and as i worked through that course i learned a new way to approach this with my son and it actually worked it's taken time But slowly but surely, you know, we've gotten him to where he needs to be. The difference with her approach is that it was very mindful. It took into account his feelings and it really involved him in the process. And so it started with preparing him, actually taking the time to talk with him about what was going to happen and why it was important and what was going on with his body which was something, honestly, we hadn't done before. Makes total sense, but we hadn't done it. And then incentivizing him. So we put a sticker chart up. It was very growth mindset-like where every time he would sit on the potty and try, he got a sticker. It didn't matter what happened, but it was all about, you know, rewarding that effort and just building that habit in. It also involved talking with him about his feelings. And that's when... I learned how scared he was. I didn't realize that he was scared of the potty, and so we got him a couple of different things, you know, one of those little seats that can go inside the bigger seat. You know, we got him a little potty and gave him the choice of of sitting wherever he wanted to sit. This is when I also learned that he had very low self-esteem about himself due to the difficulties he was having at accomplishing the potty training. He went to daycare and he let us know that some of the other kids were laughing at him or making fun of him when they noticed that he had a pull up on. And they would call him names, call him baby and, and things like that. And he was feeling really, really down about himself. And he started calling himself baby and, and lots of other things and saying, I'm stupid and I'll never get it and just all kinds of negative self-talk. I tell you all this to just say that this was like a wake-up call for me where I realized, you know, how much was really going on internally with him and that it wasn't just about teaching him this new skill in sort of a procedural way. You know, first you do this and then you do this and then you do this and let's just get it done. There was a lot of other things standing in the way of his success that I had not considered. With this new conscious, mindful, you know, almost like social emotional approach, we had way more success. And in the process, we've had a chance to really help address his self confidence and his perception of himself and help him learn a lesson that I think will serve him throughout his life, which is, you know, how do you persist through challenges and how do you just keep working at it? And with that effort and with trying, you can accomplish something that feels hard for you. Okay, so what does this have to do with math and teaching? What part of that story resonates with you when you think about your students who have unfinished learning in math? Do you have students who have low self-esteem when it comes to their ability in math? Do you have students who take longer to grasp concepts than other students? And they need those multiple attempts. Some connections that I see are that oftentimes when we're working with students with unfinished learning, it requires multiple attempts, multiple interactions to help them understand and gain fluency with skills and concepts. Other times it takes a different approach. Frequently. The students have low self-confidence or low self-esteem when it comes to their math identity, how they view themselves, and their ability to do math. Sometimes there is resistance. And I saw that with my son. He was trying to avoid it and trying to, you know, he didn't want to go. Even if it was clear he had to go to the bathroom, he would deny it and refuse and, you know, use all kinds of tactics to try to just delay that. Here's the thing. I've experienced this myself as a teacher, where I had students who had a lot of unfinished learning, and I also had students who lacked confidence and motivation in math. But what I hadn't done is concretely put the two together to see that there was this correlation. Oftentimes, we're talking about the same students, and that's not a coincidence, Now, this struck me finally after I had done a series of interviews with teachers to discuss their biggest challenges in teaching middle and high school math. It wasn't surprising to me that unfinished learning was the most common concern. It topped the list. What struck me that I hadn't recognized prior to that point was that in the same breath that teachers were talking about the academic challenges that their students were facing, They mentioned the emotional and behavioral concerns that frequently and understandably accompany them. So they were talking about these two things that, in my mind, were separate considerations together. Okay, so what does this look like? Well, many students with unfinished learning lack confidence in their ability, and they end up looking for ways to avoid the subject, right? So think about your class. Have you ever had that student that just... Every time math class comes around, oh, they have to go to the bathroom or, you know, they need to go find something from their locker. They're looking for a way to avoid the subject. But it actually makes sense when you step back to think about it. What is something that you don't feel you're good at? So let's ask ourselves, do we seek out the activities that we don't feel we're good at? Most of the time, the answer is going to be no. And if we do end up doing them, maybe they are a requirement and something we don't feel we have a choice with, are we motivated and engaged while we're doing them? Likely not. Yet our students who have unfinished learning in math, who more likely than not do not feel confident in the subject, and as a result they're less motivated, engaged, or willing to make mistakes, don't have a choice about whether or not they're going to sit in math class. By law, they're required to be there day after day. I've seen teachers get really frustrated by some of the ways that students' lack of confidence and motivation manifest themselves behaviorally in the classroom, and I myself have been frustrated by this. Sometimes students leave their papers blank. Sometimes they don't raise their hands. Uh, They may not ask for guidance. And instead, just try to figure something out on their own. They might tune you out. But nonetheless, it's important for us to recognize that these behaviors are natural and self protective. They actually make complete sense given the painful histories that most students who have struggled in math have experienced spending day after day lost and confused in class, and then being treated like there's something wrong with them or they're doing something wrong. Because they don't understand. Even though it's a tough situation, it's one of the biggest challenges, as I mentioned earlier. Teachers tell me, and I've experienced it myself what do I do when I've got this class full of students who are in all different places and they seem to need different things? Sometimes when we describe students who have a lot of unfinished learning and we're talking about their behaviors, some of the things I hear are they're unmotivated. They don't try, they don't listen, they're not willing to make mistakes. So in this episode, I want to do two things. One, I want to validate the experience you're having as a teacher that this is hard. This is a very hard situation to figure out. How do I teach students who are at different places and the students who seemingly need the most help are sometimes the most resistant to the help? And then secondly, I want to just bring up the point that it makes sense. It's actually a completely natural reaction that students are having. And it's a reaction that most of us as adults have too. If there are things we're scared of or things that we don't think we're very good at, we're not going to go out of our way to pursue them. So I just encourage you to take a moment and really think about something that you don't enjoy or feel good about and just remember, you know, what that feels like to you when you're engaging in that activity and use that as a way to just feel some compassionate feelings towards your students who may be doing things in class that make it harder for you to teach, make it harder for you to reach them maybe frustrate you sometimes. Okay, so what can we do? And how can we support students without creating an individualized lesson plan for every student every day, but also without compromising their learning? As I mentioned earlier, I've created a five-step framework to support teachers and coaches in bridging the gap to grade-level math. This framework addresses not only the academic and instructional strategies that are necessary to catch students up, but also takes into account their social-emotional needs related to confidence and motivation. All right, here is the Bridge to Grade Level Math Framework. Step one is envision strong instruction. Taking time to write down on paper What do you want instruction to look like in your classroom? Or if you're a leader, what do you want instruction to look like in your building? This is important because as you're starting to work with students with unfinished learning and put some different strategies into place, we always want to make sure that we're anchored in our vision of strong instruction so that unintentionally we don't start using practices that actually aren't aligned to what we believe students need and deserve in terms of math instruction. You may have a vision that all students have access to grade level content. And so in your math intervention plan, you would then not be aligned if you say, split kids into ability level groups and only teach them, quote, at their grade level. You would be able to see then that that is not aligned to your vision. Step two is to invest all key stakeholders. So if you are the teacher, your biggest key stakeholders are your students. So really thinking through how are you going to invest students in this kind of instruction you want to have? If you're going to be doing a lot of group work, how can you get kids invested in that? If you're going to encourage them to be willing to make mistakes and share their mistakes, how are you going to invest them in that? Sometimes that can be sharing the value of those things, right? You can share a little research with them. You could do an activity to really help them see what the importance of that um, mathematical mindset is. You can also incentivize them. Plan a reward for certain behaviors that you want to reinforce in your classroom. So, lots of different ways to invest, but don't skip this step or you'll find it come back to bite you. Because if you don't have the cooperation of at least the majority of your students, it can make this whole process a bit harder. Step three is entry to grade level content. With entry, what I want you to think about is when you're presenting grade level content to students, How are all of your students, no matter what prior skills and understandings they're coming to the lesson with, is there a way for them to interact with the task in a meaningful way? And so you may need to put some scaffolds in place, maybe ask more open-ended questions, consider if your tasks are low floor, high ceiling. Use some instructional routines like notice and wonder, things like that. I have a whole list of strategies you can use to do this if you go to www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash bundle. Number four is engage students in deep thinking. Okay, so now everyone's had entry into the grade level task that we're engaging in for the lesson. Now it's important to actually engage students in deep thinking about the math that is in that task. One of the biggest ways to do that is to really think through the questions that you're going to ask students and how you're going to have them answer them. Are they going to write the answers first? Will they talk with a partner? So how are you structuring the lesson in a way where they get to do the thinking? It's not all you talking and doing the explaining. They have an opportunity to do that too. And that they're doing it about some of the most important concepts in the lesson. And then number five is re-engage students with discussion. After you've completed the lesson and perhaps you've given an exit ticket or maybe you've walked around and checked in with students and jot down some anecdotal notes and you have a sense of what students are really understanding and where they're still getting a little bit stuck, then... The last step is to re-engage. So go back in and you can do this with the same task even that they were already doing. You can pull up student work and discuss it. You could provide another task that gets at that specific idea that you saw uh, that they were struggling with. But I would circle back either you know the next day or two days after. Whenever you have the data... And you're clear on where they're getting stuck, you know, find a way to circle back and engage them in a discussion. Help them to grapple through it. Help them to be able to debate or discuss so that they can really make sense of what it was that they were struggling with. That's the five step process. I have a resource for you, I have that in a beautifully done if I do say so myself, framework um, with links to some resources that will help you with each step, including a short five to seven minute video for each step if you want more information on that. That one you can get at www.bridgetogradelevelmath.com and I will link that in the show notes as well. Finally, before we close, I do think it's important to mention that although schools are trying their hardest to support students who are behind, some of the most common approaches that I see are highly ineffective. In my opinion, they waste time for both teachers and students, and in many cases, they actually increase the opportunity gap rather than decreasing it. One of the reasons for that is that many of the strategies that schools turn to don't actually reflect NCTM's eight effective teaching practices, nor do they provide consistent opportunities for students to engage in the standards for mathematical practice. There is much to take into consideration when addressing students' unfinished learning, and I think we can all agree that there's no time to waste. Every year, every week, and every day that students are in math class is an opportunity to help bridge the gap to grade-level math or to widen the existing gap. For more than four years, I've partnered with experts, teachers, and leaders to find practical and effective solutions to address unfinished learning in math. And as a result, I've developed this system that you can use to help increase access to grade-level math, to build the confidence of your students who have struggled in the past, and to ensure all students are engaging in deep thinking in math class, which is one of the determining factors of classrooms where students learn the math versus ones where they don't. I'm sharing this with you guys, math teachers, coaches, school leaders, for free to help you get further faster. So please Go get your own downloadable copy of my Bridge to Grade Level Math Framework over at Bridge to Grade Level As always, I will link to everything that I mentioned in this episode over on the show notes page, which you can find at www.mindfulmathcoach.com forward slash episode 37. In closing, I want to extend an invitation to you to join me on the journey to providing more equitable math learning experiences for students of color, leading to equitable outcomes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to make sure you don't miss the next one, head over to mindfulmathcoach.com where you can sign up to receive weekly emails about new episodes. And if you're into social media and want to connect with me there, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at mindfulmathcoach or on Twitter at Mindful123Coach. You know, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, and oftentimes the math improvement journey and the journey toward a more equitable and just society can feel a thousand miles long. That's why I'm so glad we're on this mindful math journey together, and in particular, why I'm glad you've chosen to take a single step forward with me today by listening into this episode. Thanks for tuning in.